reality is spiritual. His truth is his truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. We've been looking for weeks now in Luke chapter 4. We've been looking at the temptations of Jesus and how he conquered the enemy's attempt to stop him from the mission of his life. You know, and the Lord put on my mind that really we need to become a people that begin to change the way we think until we've actually changed the way we think. Does that make sense? The mind, we've been looking over this, the mind is the seat of the soul. It is the place. We're just going to do this again really quickly. Okay, there's the temple. That's God's design. And he did have you in mind when he designed it that way. So there you are, right? Now, I just want you to notice something. The soul, the mind, the aspirations, the way that you think. You see, that inner chamber that's labeled soul now because you're, you're up there now is the place where worship takes place, the worship that is the bridge between the Holy of Holies, the spirit of the living God, the person of power, and the body, the natural out in the outer court. It is the bridge, the Spirit of God. Even when, even when Jesus said, my work is finished and the curtain was torn and the Holy Spirit went out of that holy place, he passed through the holy place, through the soul and out into the world to fill people. It passes through. And the worship that goes on outside, if you want to connect in spirit, you will also pass through the soul. Do you see why that is the place of our battle? That is where it all happens. The mind, the thinking, the aspiration, the worship. Last year we spent months teaching on the worship that happens in that inner court. You know, your life is worship. Your life is your ministry. And your ministry is your life, which is your worship, okay? That's in this place, at the place of the soul. And that's why we've been spending so much time. We looked recently at Romans that tells us what? It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And it tells us how. How are we transformed? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind by transformation in your soul. And so what? So it goes and says why? So that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's what it says. Now, what does that say? Prove is an interesting word. It doesn't say so that you can know what the will is or that you can just kind of understand it. It says prove. Prove actually translates as like test or try out. In other words, we're not conforming to this world. We are renewing our mind because he means for you to be a people that can test, that can prove. You can try out the will of God. Jesus said, pray that the will of heaven would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's approving, okay? That's taking the will of God and testing it, trying it out, proving it in the natural. And how? By the transformation of your mind by not conforming to this world. Okay, that's my way of reviewing what we've been doing. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Part of this is the scripture that's on your bulletin this week. I know sometimes I put a scripture on there, we don't even look at it, but we're going to this time. And here it says, If then you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above. Okay, who here was raised with Christ? If you're raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where? Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now listen to me, that's a mouthful. And we're going to dig at this because there's gold. This is telling that the picture's not up there anymore. This is telling you about the worship in the inner court, about the warfare that is over your soul, that is over your strongholds, your patterns of thinking, the way you understand reality, whether it is in alignment with the knowledge of God or it's not. Everything that happened in that inner court, everything that happens at the level of the worship of your soul is about whether you are in alignment with the knowledge of God or you're not. And here it's telling us that, look, if you're raised with Christ, you think on things that are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the throne of power. In other words, we are to think, we are to align our soul with the knowledge of God such that what informs us, the way that we think, what we aspire to, the things of the soul issue from the throne of power, from Jesus's place in the throne room. This is telling us about your management as a priest. We are all priests in the kingdom of God. And this is telling us about your management of your priestly duties in your soul. What would happen by the priests in that inner court? And it goes on and says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. I hope those of you that have been with us for for the last month or whatever, you're connecting all of this to everything we've been teaching because it is the same thing. We're going to look at deeper aspects of it this morning, but this is the same thing. This is the creation of strongholds so that the Holy Spirit has a place to pour into strongholds in you for God rather than strongholds that are contrary to God. And it goes on and says, for you died so that your life and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, now please just notice that didn't just say Christ who's going to be your life or he's going to bring you into life. If you already died and you're raised with Christ, then this says he is your life. This verse says he is your life right now. When Christ who is our life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I'm just going to suggest again, this verse that's going to lead us into what we're going to look at next is the key to Jesus's victory and his temptations. And as our pattern, that means it's also the key to your victory in everything. Jesus overcame the pathetic attempt of the enemy to move him off of his purposes by hoping that his mind would not be set on the things above. You can see that. Go review it. After all this teaching from this last month, go look at the temptations with just this in mind and just see how it was the fact that his mind was set on the things above and that was his victory in anything that can come against you. Amen? We're going to look at a few scriptures that are about this. and I'm going to try to move through them quickly and I'll tell you why. 
Because lately, I am just so amazed by Jesus. (laughs) Now, I know that's cliche, okay? But it seems like no matter what I try to study, I end up just being so amazed with Jesus. I just end up being back looking at Jesus. And so I don't want to move quickly when I go through that part. And we're going to look at Jesus. But first, I want to show you some powerful things in the scriptures that are of him, and then we're going to look at his life, and we're going to leave here with something transforming. It's my prayer that this is transforming, because the truth is transforming. But you understand, this is just written words, okay? The only thing that this does is guide us, connect us into a relationship with the one who is the word, right? That's the transformation. This is so good. Go with me to James chapter 1, and James is a book where it looks a lot at a community that was in trials. In fact, they were having problems in their church. They were quarreling and, and doing all kinds of stupid things because they were, they were in trials. They were being tested, which you can see how this relates to everything we've been teaching about. You understand trials, temptations, scripturally and in truth, these are all the same thing. It's just a battle to get you to think contrary to the knowledge of God and then you're going to have quarrels and stupid things and you're going to lack the power that God means for you and, and his body, the church, to have. That's the battle we fight with our enemy who's pathetic, okay? Our enemy's pathetic. He doesn't have a chance as long as we align with God and we say, you don't have a chance because Christ already won the victory. So here in James, it looks like I started in verse 2. I'm not sure why I would do that, but apparently I did. So because I can, I guess. And we start in verse 2 and it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I I just kind of go, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, I'm all about the victory of Christ. Why would I count that joy? Well, it goes on and starts to tell us why we might count it joy. But even that, as we read forward in this verse, it's still not really enough for me until I keep reading even further. Because it goes on in verse 3, it says, here's why you would count it joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. I'm still going, great. (laughs) That's what I really want, patience. You know? Not that I couldn't use some. I, I, (laughs) I need that. Uh, And it goes on and says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now I'm starting to go, okay, that's not it. That's still really, that wouldn't be enough for me. It goes on and says, if any of you lacks wisdom. Now this is why we're reading this. I want you to really listen to this part. If any of you lacks wisdom. Now what's wisdom? Wisdom is the ability. It's really an ability. (laughs) It's an ability to apply what is according to the knowledge of God. Okay, wisdom's not knowledge. Wisdom is, is a type of knowing of the King Jesus Christ, the, the, the high place that our thoughts come, come from seated at the right hand of God and the ability to apply it, right, in life powerfully, to live according to the knowledge of God. That's wisdom. And it says, if you lack that, it says, let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Huge. Do you know what that just said? It said, ask him and he freely gives it without reproach. You know what reproach is? It's defaming. 
Literally, it translates as defaming. It's a scolding. And it has a connotation of public. That's reproach, okay? Without reproach. He gives it freely. Just ask him if you want that, and he gives it freely. That's what that just said. Next, there's a little scolding. Then it says, and it, and it will be given to him. Okay, there's a promise. He gives it freely. It will be given to you if you ask. But, but then he begins to talk about another realm where you're not asking. Okay, listen, it says, but let him ask in faith with no doubt. Now listen to this. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's pretty harsh. Why? He is a double-minded man. We talked about that word. That's dipsukos. It means two-spirited. It means there's competing spirits in this battle of the thinking. Now pay attention. This is talking about the mind, the seat of the soul, the inner court that we're talking about. Because it says, with no doubting. That's a mind thing. That's, that's a soul thing. And let not that man suppose, because he's double-minded. And it says he's unstable in all of his ways. In other words, if you have things contrary to the knowledge of God competing, it makes you unstable in all of your ways. It's the opposite of wisdom. Okay. Now notice that this verse, and this is leading somewhere, notice that this verse is about prayer. It's not entirely about prayer. But it's about asking for wisdom, right? That's your conversation with God. That's the conversation that goes on in that inner court as you, as you approach the place of the Spirit. Yes? Okay, look with me at James chapter 4. I'm going to show you this. Here it's, it's, it's going to literally address the quarrels and the stupid things going on that a lot of this letter is about. And it says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Okay, and it goes on and says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder, and you're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now look, the only reason I read that is because I want you to see context here. That's the context that this is being written in, but there's really something far deeper that is being communicated in this letter, comes next. And it says, now listen, here we're talking prayer again. Your conversation with God, okay, to have the things of God that he's planned for you. And it says two things. You do not have because you do not ask. And then the next part goes on. And, and I'm going to say, it sounds like a new thought, but I think it's a continuation of the same thought, okay? And it says you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Okay, now look, there was two things there. You can consider it like it's a message to one person, to you, Okay. So in other words, it flows together. It says you ask, or it says you do not have because you do not ask, right? Yep. And then it, it basically, a better way to say this would be, and yet when you do ask, you still don't receive it because it's with wrong motives, okay? That's, that's a thinking problem. That's a spirit problem goes on. It says, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. It gets very harsh. It says, you adulteress. Why does he say that? Because in just a minute, it's going to tell you he's jealous over your spirit. He's jealous over your spirit. He loves you like that. He's absolutely crazy about you to the point of jealousy over your spirit. 
That's why it's so harsh. It's harsh in love. It says, you adulterous, um, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Do you see how that's everything we've been teaching? Friendship with the world. Strongholds that are contrary to the mind of God is friendship with the world. And it says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy. I'm amazed that the Spirit of God had her do the friends, friends of God song. Okay, what are you friends with? Where are your strongholds? That's what we're reading about. And this is actually leading somewhere entirely different. But that's obviously God's design this morning. Friends with God. I'm friends <laughs> with the one who reigns. My thoughts are on the things above, right? Our thoughts, we're commanded to have our thoughts be on the things that are not of the earth, but the things that issue from the throne of power at the right hand of God where Christ is. That is what occupies our thinking, the seat of our soul. And then just next, he says, um, it goes and says, he jealously desires the spirit which he's made to dwell in us. You know what that said? He's nuts in love with you. That's what that line says. <laughs> goes on, I know I'm skipping a little bit. It goes on and says, submit therefore to God. We looked at this briefly last week. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. It's not a mistake that that's right there. You see, this is the place where the devil, any attack against you must flee. It follows with a promise, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. When I was preparing this week, I got a picture of another scripture that I don't have time. I'm not going to go into this morning, but I, I, I just instantly had come to mind when the children were coming to Jesus and they were, they were trying to go and, oh, don't, don't bother him, you know, keep the children away. This is important. This is adult stuff. And he says, no, let him draw near to me. You see, you've got a picture. Here's the picture I got in my head. He, he's sitting and you know how kids are. They they just come right up and crawl into your lap. And, you know, can you just picture them with Jesus? Whereas, whereas the adults are probably standing around, you know, listening to the rabbi. And the kids are just climbing up in his lap. And he says, let them come. It's, it's only when you come that way that, that you enter the kingdom of God anyway. And so draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And it ends with some of that, a little bit of that harshness. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's the same word, dipsukos. Now, here's why we're doing this, because I'm itching to look at Jesus. Um, I'm so amazed by Jesus lately. I know that sounds weird, because you're always amazed by Jesus, right? But I just can't seem to look deeply at anything besides him. It seems everything, everything is him. One more verse here, actually. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. I want you to see that. We looked at this recently. I'm not sure when. Um, we need to see this. It says, beware, Colossians 2, 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. How do you get cheated? I just told you the way you get cheated. It's through philosophy. It's the same battle of the soul. It's empty deceit. It's religion. Tradition of men is religion. Okay? That's an attempt to participate in the things of God, to be okay without the transforming relationship of God. That's religion. It's doing stuff instead of actually availing yourself to the transforming relationship. But... 
according to the basic principles of this world. I want you to see something. We're going to look at in just a moment, Jesus, where he's telling the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. You see them both right here in this verse. The tradition of men is the leaven of Pharisees. It's, it's religion. And the basic principles of this world, the two things that can cheat you out of everything. <laughs> and that would be the leaven of Herod. And it says, not according to Christ. You see, it's everything we've been saying, not according to the knowledge of God. It's what's contrary to the mind of God has the ability to cheat you of everything. Oh, it makes me mad just saying that out loud. <laughs> For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And here you're going to see the same words. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. That's the exact same words paraphrased in a different way. The head of all principality and power. That's the seat that is the right, at the right hand of God. That is the seat where we are commanded. How are we commanded? We are commanded to seek the things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Do you see it's the exact same words? Okay, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Somebody's going, when we, you said we were going to look at Jesus. <laughs> Here it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, I'm just going to tell you quick. Here, they're, they're going through this controversy about circumcision. Some, they're trying to press back in religion instead of standing in the freedom, and that's what's being confronted here. And it goes, I want you to skip to verse 6 with me. I just told you what's in between. It's just controversy about circumcision. And it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. So do your religion however the heck you want, <laughs> is what that said. <laughs> because it doesn't have anything to do with that. It doesn't avail anything. But what does avail something? It says, But faith Working through love. Now that's a bigger mouthful than meets the eye. Faith, just faith? Working <laughs> through love. Do you understand that? That's the Romans verse. That's the proving of the will of God. Not just understanding it. Not just having heard of it. <laughs> it's proving. It's actually executing the will of heaven. Faith working through love. Okay, that's what avails. Now I want you to see, it goes on verse 7 and it says, it's kind of another little scolding here. It says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. So who's it come from? The adversary. Yeah, the enemy. Doesn't the persuasion, this philosophy, this thing against the knowledge of God does not come from the one who calls you. And then verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, I have confidence in you in the Lord, what? That you will have no other mind. Now, I just wanted you to see that because we're going to look at leaven in just a minute. And I just want you to see that consistently unchangingly, leaven in the scripture. Um, in fact, we'll see that in the Seder meal, I'm sure. Leaven in the scripture is 
philosophies is thinking is the things that come from the one who does not call you, that comes from your adversary, that creep in to cheat you. You see that every, everything that we're doing is so consistent in the word of God that we're fools if we don't get a handle on this. And we're not fools. <laughs> we have the mind of Christ. Now I'm going to tell you what happens next. And then we're going to look at Jesus. We are going to look at Jesus. <laughs> next what happens, and in, in, in verse 19, if you want to put it up, I'm probably not going to read the whole thing. It just goes and says, now the works of the flesh are evident, okay? And then it lists a whole, maybe I am going to, maybe I can't help myself. So, <laughs> and it goes on and lists all the most disgusting things, right? Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies. I'm going to stop because I'm starting to get depressed. All of these things. And it goes and it says, now listen to this. It says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to tell you what we do with this. We usually by default, completely on accident, we, we apply a completely false theology to what we just read. What we do is we say, in other words, doing, participating or acting or doing these things prohibits you from having the kingdom of heaven. And the only way you come up with that conclusion is to have a false theology where you completely misunderstand Jesus Christ, the Messiah. <laughs> because in order to have that understanding of that scripture, you would have to conclude that the blood that he spilled for you is not sufficient to cover over those things. And we know that, I know as soon as I said that, you're like, well, that's not true. Am I right? Okay. So I want to tell you something. You're reading about fruit. In other words, those things don't prohibit you from inheriting the kingdom of God. Those things are evidence of the worship in your inner court. They are the evidence of what strongholds are ruling your life because of where you are, where you live. And we know that that's true because just next, I mean, you can know that I'm not making anything up here because in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit, and it goes and lists all the things that heal our depression, <laughs> is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. You see what's happening? Those who practice those things, who have those evidences of being according to the knowledge of God, automatically produce these fruits. Those are evidences of where you are. You see, you don't, the, the opposite is true too. You don't get into the kingdom of God because you're able to produce those things. That's that's a bad theology too. Works do not get you into the inheritance of that Jesus Christ spilled his blood to give you. It's fruit. It's evidence of where you are. It's evidence of what your mind is on, how you worship in the holy place, the temple that you are. Okay, now I'm going to get in trouble if I don't tell you about Jesus. Okay, and this is, this is in a, um, a narrative that we have been looking at. Um, this is Mark 8. 
if you want to start turning there. Um, we've been walking through this narrative over the last several weeks where Jesus feeds the multitude. In fact, he feeds another multitude. This is the second multitude he feeds without having enough food. Okay, first he did it with the Jews. Then he does it in a Gentile setting. Let that inform you. And then they get into a boat. The next thing that happens, um, he confronts some Pharisees who demand a sign. Do you remember that message? I'm really curious. Raise your hand if you remember that message. Oh, good. You do remember for a couple. That's good. And then here, he gets into a boat with the disciples. And I think we briefly looked at this, but we're going to look at another aspect of this, okay? I want you to see something. So we're looking at 8.13. And it says, And he left them, that's Jesus, and getting into the boat, departed to the other side. Now listen to this. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. I don't know about you, but I, I think that that detail is so interesting. <laughs> I just, just want to stop. You know, side note, they forgot bread. They only have a loaf. I think what's significant about this is that the scriptures want you to know that circumstances, there are circumstances. There is the, the body and the, and the outside layer, and it does have an impact on on our walk. The enemy will try to use it and it will be a distraction. You can think of other things like the parable of the sower. There's the distraction is one of the four great ways <laughs> that you're cheated and stolen from. But so, so there's this detail. You see, and I don't know about you, I, I just have to say this. We've looked at the three temptations of Jesus. Now, I know for myself that when the enemy comes against me and I have a great temptation and I have to face it or a trial in life and I have to face it and I actually succeed, like the Holy Spirit empowers me to keep my faith in him, to think according to the knowledge of God and I emerge on the other side, I'm pretty proud. You know, I'm kind of like, God is growing me into someone powerful. Wow. <laughs> now, what I'm getting at, though, is you, if you start hitting me with two or three or four in a row, I start wearing down and I usually don't do too well. And we're, I don't know if you've noticed, but I mean, there Jesus' experience in the wilderness is three in a row. It's rapid fire. <laughs> you really have to be stayed on God when you, when you survive through that rapid fire. Does anybody relate or am I the only wimp? Why did I share that? I have no idea. Okay. Um, so it goes on, okay? It goes on, and it says, then he charged. Remember what we said about that is that's not just like, that's not just charged. We have to translate it that way in English, but it's, it's, it includes an element of the, the charge is set yourself apart. So like automatically, it's in the same word. He's charging them, distinguish yourself this way without having to use all those words. And in what way? He charges them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. In other words, in other words, he's saying, distinguish yourself this way, that you don't have the philosophies of this world or the philosophies of re religion as your guidepost, as your motivator, or your understanding. And then here's what they do. 
And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. Okay, so they, they forgot to pack dinner. Now, now, here's what's funny. They're completely grounded. Do you understand they're guilty of exactly what he's talking about in this very moment? The irony is unbelievable. I mean, they're, they're completely grounded in the limitations, the lack of this world. Um, in fact, their feet are so ground into the dust that at the very moment that he's trying to say, don't conform to this world, think from me, you're walking with me, you're seeing me. Base your thinking, your strongholds on me. At the very moment he's telling them that they're, they're completely grounded in the mud. Oh, he's got to be saying this. Whose job, can you just see him? Whose job was it to pack dinner? No, it was yours. And their reason, I know that he's mad at us because we didn't bring enough food. And they're just in fear and anxiety over, over their failure. And he's not even talking about their failure. He's trying to tell them not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, guys. Right? Don't start in your lack. <sighs> Start in the goodness that you have just witnessed twice as you walk with me and you see the Father's love, limitless love and ability to pour forth into this earth. That's where you start from. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Think on the things above, not the things of this earth. That's the stronghold for the Holy Spirit. See, leaven. Oh my gosh, the poison of leaven. As I, as I sat meditating on leaven and the things in our culture, that God really gave me two thoughts. And this is for somebody. It must be at least for two people because it's two different things. And I'm thinking about leaven. There's two leavens that you see going on even in this story and everywhere else you see it. One is I've got to protect myself. I'm responsible to, to be God's protected, to be my own God. I'm capable to protect myself and I need to do that. And I want to tell you something. Relationships are destroyed over the lie that you protect yourself as opposed to trust God to fill you for protection and security and well-being. Relationships are destroyed. Families are destroyed. When you think, I've got to protect myself. Okay, and the other one that I, I know that he revealed to me very powerfully is that destinies are destroyed when you think, that you can or you're supposed to provide for yourself. Destinies are destroyed. Amen? Anybody seen it? He is the provider. He is the lover of your soul. He makes your plans and he can hold you in relationships even though everyone around you is messy and they are operating by the philosophies of this world. So are you. We're all transforming, right? Now, okay, I'm going to wrap with this. Here's the thing. I want you to remember, um, the Word of God said, if you lack wisdom, ask, and He freely gives without reproach. And we're going to look at Jesus here. Jesus' response to them in verse 17. says, says, but Jesus, I love those words. We should just pause there for a moment. But Jesus, <laughs> thank God for but Jesus. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, 
Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes you do not see, and having ears you do not hear, and do you not remember? Now here's the thing. I think a holdover from Sunday school, from children's Sunday schools, that we imagine Jesus saying this in the most loving, gentle way, like he's going... He's going, oh, guys, do you, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand, fellas? And I want to tell you something. You're reading a class A scolding right here. <laughs> the, look at the words. That's not what he's doing. This is reproach that you're reading. This is reproach, the real deal. He's saying, why do you reason because you have no bread? Don't you understand? Are you still, is your heart still hard? You've got eyes, but you don't see. You've got ears, but you don't hear. Now, now picture this scene. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, can you just picture them? They're, they're lined up in front of him or they're around him. And he says, when I broke the loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets of fragments did you take up? Now, can you just see them? Now, at this point, they're like, 12, right? And he says, also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And elbow, you answer, seven, <laughs> right? That's what I'd be doing. I'd be going, oh, we're stupid. <laughs> and so he said to them, how is it you don't understand? Now, I'm going to tell you what, what you're reading. I'm going to wrap quickly. I had plans to go all through it, but I know that y'all are smart enough you can get this quick. The real force of what's going on here is in the words, is your heart still hardened? Now listen, we, it, it's a cultural thing. We don't even understand what that means in our culture. Um, we're so darn cerebral that we don't get those words. But they would have known that a heart being hardened would connects right back to Pharaoh. And I had all the scriptures lined up here, but you know what? It's okay. You, re you know the story of Pharaoh. It started out and God, God was going to free his people. Is that the calling on your life to free people? Yes, it is. It's, it's the ministry of reconciliation. You're all priests in the kingdom of God for the ministry of reconciliation, for the freeing of people into the kingdom of God, into Jesus. Okay, it's your ministry too. And the words delivered to Pharaoh and it said, God said, Moses comes and says, God says, release my people. And he hardens his heart. It, it begins with turning water into the blood and the, magi the Pharaoh's magicians can fake doing it too. So his heart hardens. And then it's frogs and it's lice and it, it gets, and, and his heart gets harder and harder and harder. Okay. And it gets to the point that even the magicians are going to Pharaoh and, go, and, and they're going, Pharaoh, it's the hand of God. And Pharaoh's heart only gets harder and harder and harder. By the time you get to the eighth plague, now here, listen to this. This is for somebody. I know it is. By the time you get to the eighth plague, it says, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the children of Israel go. Now, I want you to know something. This is just truth. You get to a point 
to where you harden your heart, to where God is acting, his mercy, his kindness, his grace, his power on your behalf or for other people, and you are participant of or witness of, and you remain untransformed, you remain unchanged in the face of God's activity towards his will being done on the earth, and then he will agree with you. His mercy abounds, and eventually you will get to a point where it will say, the Lord hardened the heart. Now the Lord's doing it. You see, he's made you very powerful in relationship. He will agree with you. If you are going towards power and freedom in Jesus Christ, and you're believing this, the strongholds in your mind, the places for the Holy Spirit to fill are for God. You have created places for the Spirit to be in you, then He will agree with you. Amen? It's all through the Scripture. I can't do that unless you want to be here all day, which I'm good with, but um, He will agree with you. He will meet you in that place of power. He has promised, if you ask for my Spirit, I will not withhold it. That's His agreement with you. But there's also a hardening of heart. Okay, there's a hard heart is a heart that remains unchanged in the face of God's mercy and kindness and grace. The lack of transformation in the face of God's goodness pouring out, the the proving of his will around you, and yet a lack of transformation. That's what the disciples are doing in this story. They've seen him do it twice. (laughs) They've participated. They were participants. You see, that? it wasn't even like they were standing on the side going, whoa, watch what Jesus is doing. They were his number one ministry team. He was saying, he was saying, here, take these baskets and fish and start distributing. And they did it with their hands. They participated with him twice. And yet they find themselves at a place where they're getting a class A scolding because they have not transformed their mind. They're operating from the same old thinking where he's trying to tell them, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you can prove, so that you can be powerful actors of the will and the kingdom of God. Be transformed for that reason. Does that make sense? And then what, and what do they do? Where are they? They have hard hearts. They've not been transformed by their participation, by their walking with him. They reach the point where he's trying to tell them about that. And they're going, oh, whose job was it to pack dinner? They're just a little bit on a different conversation than he's at. They're slightly off. You see, the the smallest anxiety, the smallest fear will take you to the other end of the universe from the knowledge of God, from God's thinking. You won't even be talking about the same subject with God. Perfect love casts out fear. If you agree with God, he will agree with you back because he loves you that much. If you align with the knowledge of God, if you give him a stronghold, if you think on the things above, and that's what you put your faith in, instead of the high things that you exalt from the philosophies of this world or from the comforts of religion that you've gotten somewhere, if you give him a stronghold, 
in your soul, you have given him something to agree with. And he will fill it. He promises. In fact, he promises that he will freely give it. For those that ask, he freely gives wisdom, the ability to apply the will of heaven, to prove the will of God in this dark place. He promises. And for those that are a part of, that participate in, that witness the kindness and graciousness of God without transformation, he's got a class A scolding. He's got a reproach for that because he loves you, because he loves you that much. Do you know that he loves you that much? I know I'm supposed to be wrapping up. I think I get to say that a couple of times before I'm deceiving you. (laughs) I am going to wrap up. You know, Hebrews 12 talks about a perfect father and his discipline. That's what this is. Jesus loves the disciples. He's crazy about them like he's crazy about you. You're a disciple. You know, you're his number one ministry team. He's got plans for you. He wants you to minister with him, just like he wants for these disciples that they would be transformed in such a way that they know the heart of God, they have seen it operate, and they become capable ministers with him bringing the will of heaven. That's you too. That's not just these these guys that I, I always relate with. I'm the one standing there going, 12... I get it, but he means for you to become the most capable people on the planet that walk and minister with him in the joy of that.